The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a special guest. I feel like I say that every time, but this time it's special because it is someone who is updating us on MS research directly from his lab. Dr. Bob Axtell is an associate member of the Arthritis and Clinical Immunology Research Program at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, which we're just going to refer to as OMRF. In his lab, they're using animal models and patient samples from OMRF's MS Center of Excellence to understand why MS behaves differently from other autoimmune diseases and why some MS patients do not respond well to standard therapy. Their newest findings discovered a potential treatment for primary progressive MS. On today's episode, Bob talks to us about his research, what it means for people with primary progressive MS, and things that you can do now to set yourself up for even more benefits when future therapies arrive. Bob, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thanks for the invite. This is uh, really exciting. Glad to talk about some of the research that we're doing on multiple sclerosis. Absolutely. I can't even remember now how I stumbled upon your research, but it's definitely new and exciting for sure. So we're going to dive into that. Before we do, can I ask you a question from my interview deck? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Your question is, what is one surefire way to grab your attention? I think that if you were to talk about either basketball or jazz funk music that would probably grab my attention right away quickly or talk about multiple sclerosis yeah Yeah. nice do you have a favorite basketball team i grew up liking the warriors and when i moved here uh, i sort of adopted the thunder um so i i have two teams unfortunately they're both in the west coast conference so oh no (laughs) so they compete against each other yeah Wow. All right. Well, that was fun. Thanks so much for answering that. So before we dive into your specific research, I thought we could just do a recap if anyone does need any clarification on the difference between relapsing MS and the progressive forms of MS. Sure. So there's basically three categories of multiple sclerosis. There's, of course, the relapsing remitting disease course which is basically highly inflammatory. So the immune cells from your blood will then infiltrate into your brain and central nervous system and attack it. And so that's the relapsing remitting form of the disease. Over time, RRMS can then transition to secondary progressive MS, where you have actually less of those 
immune insults to the brain, but you have this progressive disability. So it seems to be more associated with neurodegeneration instead of neuroinflammation. So, and then there's a third type of disease called primary progressive MS. And primary progressive MS is where there's no inflammatory component to the disease. People are diagnosed and straight away they are in this progressive neurodegenerative disease. And so those are the three main types of uh, MS that there, that there are out there. That was a great recap in like one minute or so, a great way to differentiate each one. Sure. So one of the things that's good about multiple sclerosis, I guess, or at least the relapsing remitting uh, version of the disease is that there's many drugs out there for patients to take that can stop the inflammatory processes that cause these relapses. Where the unmet need is for patients is when they transition into the progressive version, either the secondary progressive or the primary progressive um, version of the disease, because we really don't have any therapies that can actually reverse the damage that's there or slow down the damage that's accruing over time in those progressive versions of the disease. Yeah. So do you think it's easier, even though it's not easy, is it easier to find treatments for relapsing MS? Because that does seem to be up until recently where the majority of research is. Right. And so, you know, my lab and and others, there's lots of labs across the, the world that use animal models to study disease. And so the traditional one or the one that's been used the most to develop these drugs that work for relapsing MS is called experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis. That's a mouthful. We call it EAE. And so what we do in that model is we immunize mice to myelin antigens, and then their immune system gets revved up, and then it starts attacking the central nervous system. And those types of experiments have led to the discovery and the development of pretty much most, if not all of the therapies that are out there for MS, which is blocking the immune cells from actually getting into or um, damaging the uh, nervous system. And so it's basically telling us that animal models are really good for right now are really good for understanding what the immune system is doing and what the inflammation is doing, and we can target those. And that's been successful for developing these drugs. But then for the progressive phases of the disease, those drugs don't seem to work as well. And so we need to develop new models to understand those processes. Yeah. And it sounds like it would be a completely different mechanism just because it's a completely different type of the disease. It doesn't have that same inflammatory effect. Right, exactly. And so, you know, one of the things that's really exciting about one of the recently published work out of our lab with, uh, this is a big collaboration with Dr. Holly Van Remen, we identified potentially a new animal model to study progressive versions of the disease. To get into the weeds of the science a little bit, what we did is we had these mice where there was one important protein that's involved in the antioxidant pathway. And those were not, th that particular protein was knocked out in neurons specifically. And what we found is that over time, these mice ended up getting 
sort of an MS-like condition. And so then when we started looking at, you know, what was going on is that there was a bunch of demyelination going on in these mice. But in the absence of having immune cells from the blood infiltrate into the brain. And so it was kind of interesting. And, and uh, some of the other pathways that we saw that were elevated have actually been seen in some of these progressive uh, diseases as well. And so potentially we've stumbled upon a model that could be used for preclinical developmental studies for drugs for the progressive phases of this disease. Yeah, that's so amazing. Did you go into this study hoping to find something for primary progressive MS? Or did it just kind of happen that way where you realized, oh, we found this and this is similar to primary progressive MS? Right. And so it's one of those things where one of Holly's scientists in her lab approached me about some of the results that they're getting with this particular knockout and how he thought that they sort of resembled you know, this EAE mouse model that we use a lot. And so that kind of piqued my curiosity. And so we decided, we thought, well, maybe there's some sort of immune cell infiltration into the brain of these mice, but it turns out there wasn't. And so kind of, then we decided to go a little bit further into some of the molecular pathways that are happening within the brain. And and that's when we saw things that correlated um, pretty well with with the uh, with progressive versions of the disease. And so it was one of those interesting things where there was a lab doing something that they're used to doing. They made an interesting observation and pulled me and my lab's expertise into it. And it sort of developed into something pretty exciting and need to, we need to pursue this a little bit more. Absolutely. That's very exciting. And so what would the next steps be? Is this information are these findings significant enough where it's like okay we need to now have a study on this or what what would the next step be i mean there's lots of avenues that we can go go down we can go down to basic mechanisms of why these mice are getting demyelinating diseases um, which is important and it would also potentially reveal the different pathways that we can try to enhance or block that could reverse the disease that we find in these mice and so there's some pathways that we saw that are already elevated in these in the mice brains of, of these particular transgenic mice. And so what we are planning to do is use pharmacological inhibitors of those pathways to see whether we can make these sick mice and these uh, mice that have neurological deficits better. So that would be kind of the next step towards getting this particular animal model to reveal what drugs may actually work in a progressive version of the of MS. Is that in the works? Right. We're still doing we're, we're still doing experiments with these mice and we're writing grant applications to get these studies funded. So uh, it's definitely an ongoing um, project, exciting project. That is exciting too, because of course, for multiple sclerosis, but there are other demyelinating diseases as well. Is this something that could potentially help other demyelination diseases and processes or just specifically MS? No, I mean, I think it could help a lot of different neurodegenerative diseases. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, is is good about this particular collaboration is that, uh, and also, you know, how we should approach science too, is that 
we have people who are in, you know, my collaborators are in the, the aging department and I'm in the immunology department. And so what they see and what we know and vice versa, we can sort of cross pollinate and make uh, really cool discoveries. And so kind of going back to that theme, when we think of the research sort of of MS or more big picture, um, things that we learn from MS could inform us about Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and other neurodegenerative diseases. And then the reverse could be true as well. Things that are in the works for those neurodegenerative diseases could actually help us figure out what we should be using for therapeutic targets in progressive versions of MS. So yeah, I think your point is, is appreciated. Yeah, that'd be great. So this is might be an odd question, but I feel like some people who hear this exciting research might be thinking, okay, so there's the absence of this natural anti-inflammatory chemical that might be causing these symptoms. Is there something I can do in my lifestyle or is there something I could take that could help with this? Do you know if there's anything that is available now to help with that? Well, yes and no. There's lots of really good research out there here in our institute and across the across the world that looks at um, ways to mitigate both inflammatory and neurological damage in MS. And you know, some of them could be diet related. If you start eating better, that's a good thing to do. Eating things high in antioxidants is probably going to be uh, a good thing to do. It won't cure you, but it's it may help alleviate some of the issues that people have. That's one. Another thing that sort of seems obvious, but it's not, is that there's definitely a link with environmental factors, which include cigarette smoke and cigarette smoke exposure to progressive MS and to just worse prognosis in MS. And so if you're in a situation where you're a smoker or that you are around smokers a lot, quitting smoking can really help alleviate those types of things. So there are things that are already out there that could help mitigate some of the poor outcomes of MS without having to do too much in terms of taking all these experimental drugs. Those are sort of on the horizon, but things that we can do now can help, you know, uh, make our prog- make the MS prognosis better. Yeah, I think that's really helpful too, because, and I do know I have some clients who are just going to wait until the research shows like this is what to do and then they'll exercise or then they'll take the infusion or whatever it is but yeah I'm kind of in the same belief as you is just start now there's so many things that are tangible that you can do now to put yourself in the best place for success when these other therapies are released and showing benefits right yeah I mean some of these you know some of these things I mean MS is definitely uh, a burden you know, to patients, it's when you get diagnosed and as your disease progresses, it's, I can understand how it's hard for people to deal with what their MS is doing, but then there's also things in their life that may serve as sort of comforts, whether it being, you know, some sort of nicotine that they need or not eating as healthy as that they could be because of comfort foods or whatever. But I think that those are important aspects that we should probably tackle, you know, just just to make your life a little bit more manageable with the disease too. Yeah. And if people do want to follow along 
with your research, is there a website that they can go to or do you guys share updates? How would someone find right. out? Well, I try to get my research whenever I publish a paper or get a, you know, get a grant. I try to have our institute send out press releases or put things on the website and Twitter feed. So um, that's probably the easiest way is to um, go to omrf.org or go to their Twitter handle to see what's going on with my research, uh, Dr. Pardo's research. There's another uh, collaborator here, um, Dr. Plafker, who's doing diet studies in uh, the animal models. And so there's definitely research that's coming out in MS fairly frequently that uh, you guys can follow up with, for sure. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well for anyone who wants to know. You did touch on grants, and I know that recently you guys received an extremely generous grant. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, we've got a couple that we that we've that we've done. So with Polly Van Remen's group, we had a grant that was looking at these animals that I was discussing here in terms of this progressive version of the disease. And then we've also received another uh, grant that was uh, actually assessing how cigarette smoke can drive the immune inflammation that we see in MS and how you know, putting something into your lungs can affect the immune cells in your lungs that then affect your brain. So that's another study that we just got some funding on to study on. So those are are the the grants that we have going on. Yeah. And I think I saw something about a couple who one of them, I can't remember if it was the husband or the wife, but someone has MS. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, there's the the spark. uh, Yes, that's right. So that's a philanthropic endeavor there. We did, we do have, Dr. Fardo has a, has a patient whose parents, um, you know, they generously gave almost $2 million for MS research at, at the OMRF. So that's not a grant per se, but, you know, it's a philanthropic donation that will help us both with patient care and also for uh, research on MS. So there's two aspects that that's going to really help us out on for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And so your center, just in case people don't know, there's both treatment and research going on, right? Yeah. 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 Dr. Pardo has a state-of-the-art uh, clinic um, that's actually downstairs from our um, lab and offices up here in the research wing here. And so we have a really good interaction with my lab's personnel and also his, his staff down there. So we're able to um, freely share information. And then also um, we do collect clinical information and blood and uh, CSF or spinal fluid specimens from his patients in his clinic. And so they are, you know, the, the patients are a, a big resource for us as well to understand both what's happening, you know, in the mice and also what we're seeing in, in patients and how do those actually intersect. So we've got a really good research and clinical team here for multiple sclerosis at uh, the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. Yeah, I just think that's so unique. I don't personally don't know of any other place where it's all in one building. I used to work in a physical therapy clinic and across the hall was the MS neurology clinic. And it was so beneficial just being in such close proximity. So especially for research too, I think that's just the next level. Can't get much better than that. Yeah, I know it's one of the, so I've got here about 10 years ago and that was one of the main draws for me to uh, decide to take the position here 
you know, I'm a PhD researcher, very interested in these translational studies without having, you know, access to patient information, patient samples. A lot of the studies that I would be doing would be interesting, you know, basic research, but how that actually applies to patients, this is probably the most ideal way to do it, you know, see what's going on in patients, see if those can model in mice, and then sort of what we see in mice, then go back to see if things happen in the patients. So we kind of try to toggle back and forth in terms of what's going on in, in those yeah. systems there. So do you think the next course of action would be to find a treatment for the mice and then obviously go to humans? Or do you feel like there's still more research to be done before you get to a treatment? Yeah, there's, uh, well, there's definitely more research that needs to be done on both, you know, both in humans and in mice. I mean, whenever you have some sort of interesting drug that you want to test, the first thing you need to do is you need to test it in animal models before you go and put it in and make sure that, A, there's some sort of efficacy signal and that there's no adverse events, mice dying or whatever it might be. So you need to put these experimental drugs into animals first before you put them into humans. So we need to do that. But I think also understanding what's happening with patients, looking at biomarkers in patients is a, is another uh, aspect that's uh, sort of an unmet need for, for MS too. Another study that we're very interested in is even within relapsing remitting MS, there's variations in prognosis. And so one of the things that we're interested in is can we identify any sort of marker, whether it's in the blood, CSF, or maybe even just in um, you know, your demographics, is there a reason why or, or a marker that can identify differences in prognosis in patients so that you can then give them the appropriate treatment early to prevent worsening of the disease? So yeah. That's, that's uh, so going back to it, there's a lot of research that can be done. Mm-hmm with patients before we actually put new drugs into patients as well. Yeah. And with the ideal outcome of your current findings of the study that you guys just did, would the ideal outcome be that there would be a way to get that anti-inflammatory chemical into mice and then people with MS? Is that the the goal? Right. Yeah. The, the, the goal would be is can we find a drug that can reverse the neurological signs that we see in these mice, seeing if there's efficacy there. And then from there, we would, that would be the first step to getting that into, into humans. There's a lot of, you know, regulatory things that would need to happen before we would be able to put a new drug into a patient. But the first step would be with these mice that we have, can we reverse their disease with some sort of experimental drug? Yeah. And even to get that far is the findings that you just found in the new study of identifying a very specific thing. So it it does seem like a huge breakthrough of understanding that can hopefully lead to something different, especially for people with progressive MS. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I always personally love knowing what research is going on, and I know that a lot of my listeners do as well. So thank you for your time and expertise and just for sharing it all with us. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. 
thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.